You're listening to the Top Woman Business Unusual Podcast. Now, the Top Woman Business Unusual Podcast. Learn from the greatest minds in business today. Interviews hosted by Ralph Fletcher. Learn how to improve business, get tips from industry leaders, and be motivated by real-life experience. Top Woman. Business Unusual. Hey guys, um, thanks for joining us today on this podcast. I just wanted to go through and just explain our goal of the Business Unusual podcast and, and really what we're trying to achieve at Topco. We're looking at helping organizations within South Africa and, and seeing how we can grow and do more business. And the way that we see that we can do that is by putting you in touch with those organizations that are shooting the lights out, those organizations that are blowing up their sales through their customer service, through innovation. What we've decided to do is to obviously you know, share these insights, these, these critical interviews of these business leaders from Africa and around the world. And, and we do that through these podcasts, through our newsletter, and through our summits and awards. You know, for us, we're about introducing you to a trusted network of great companies in Africa. So guys, go to the platform, look it up. There's some great podcasts, there's some newsletters that you should be part of, but there's also some great events that you should either be looking to get involved in. And, and uh, if you're needing help being introduced to someone, hit me up. Thanks, guys. Well, welcome to today's uh, Business Unusual Topco podcast, and I think it's a really exciting one today. We're uh, definitely going international, and it's my first experience of um, personally interviewing and talking to someone from Nigeria, and it just so happens to be a very, very successful woman entrepreneur. So you woman entrepreneurs, listen up. We have uh, Tara Fella Doratoyi, who is the founder <laughs> and CEO of the House of Tara. So, wow, and you look amazing. And I know you're almost as old as me, but you look about half half my age. So, <laughs> thank you for the compliments. And you did well pronouncing my name right. Very I good. Just a lot. I I know. So I give you a gold medal for that. <laughs> for effort. For effort. Yes. You need to put in the effort. For the effort. For the efforts. So Love. I've never been to Nigeria, and I live in little old Cape Town. And I often think, wow, what an exciting place, the, the level of entrepreneurship, energy. And I, I just think there's a couple of articles where Nigeria is taking over South Africa in terms of GDP and the biggest country in Africa. So I don't know how many South Africans have been there. But I mean, I know that you've been to Cape Town, you've been to Joburg. So you're probably better informed to tell us what you think the difference is. Yes, I um, so, um, I think, of course, South Africa is definitely more developed in terms of infrastructure than Nigeria is. Um, uh, but obviously, and it's obviously a country because of that reason, you know, very beautiful. Uh, South Africa is extremely beautiful. Um, and tourism is a big part of, of South Africa. And um, Nigeria is a, it's a huge country with 200 million people. Lagos, for example, is bursting with life entrepreneurship everyone's an entrepreneur the streets 
Um, and we're very big on, on uh, hospitality in terms of treating people well, but very warm. Um, so when you come into Lagos, you know, just the energy you get at the airport as you arrive um, is different from South Africa, right? Um, of course, when Nigerians come into South Africa, we have uh, concerns about how we'll be treated, right? But South Africa is very beautiful. Um, I love Cape Town. I, I've now suddenly fallen in love with Durban as well. And a good friend of mine I went to visit her mom in Durban earlier in the year, and I just love this as well. Uh, so in terms of infrastructure, there's obviously more, better infrastructure in roads, power. It's Nigeria, um, South Africa is way ahead of Nigeria from that standpoint. And of course, I believe tourism is a part of, of was a strong selling point for South Africa. So there's a lot of investment in ensuring that that is the case. Uh, but I think that Lagos, compared to Johannesburg, Lagos is full of energy opportunities for all kinds of business. And there are loads of South Africans who come into Nigeria often to do business here. Uh, so it's a good place to do business because there's every challenge that you see in Nigeria is an opportunity for investment. So, so I mean, your, your story is quite intriguing. I mean, you, you went to school, you enjoyed school. Not many people enjoy school. I thought that was funny. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, <I have> fun. <laughs> um, and then you went and studied law. And while you were studying law, you got into beauty and and um, and so tell us about that a little bit for those that don't know. I mean, you've got your own brand and you've got stores all over Nigeria, but you had very humble beginnings where you, when, while you were studying, you you're doing your friend's makeup and then. You got a little bit of a break with one of the the the, the glitterazzi. Correct. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Um, I loved school. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it, uh, but it also gave me the opportunity. Like I said, Nigeria is full of opportunities. I, I got the opportunity of of um, of making up my friends and then finding out that this was actually a solution um, that people were looking for. They're looking for someone who had the skill set to be able to make them look more gorgeous than they already look. Um, somebody who was willing to do that, and I was that person. And, and soon after that, I realized it could be a business and it could be a viable business. Um, I think I, I, I struck um, luck at a point where uh, the chief of naval staff, so Nigeria at this point had a military government and the chief of naval staff would probably be the third most powerful person in the country. His daughter was getting married and, and weddings are a very big part of our culture in Nigeria. We have multiple ceremonies to, to, to mark a wedding. Um, and this gave me the opportunity of being the makeup artist to the daughter of the number three man in Nigeria, which also meant that I was exposed to the elites of the society. Um, and it made it easier for people to contact me um, and ask me to offer this same solution or service to them. And that's how I started. I started with, at the time, what should be considered to be Oh, well, I would say now less than because of the devaluation of Naira, I would say less than $100. That's how I started my business. And of course, today we have a franchise model. We have retail stores across the country. Uh, we're arguably the largest uh, beauty, local beauty company in Nigeria. And you partner with people like um, L'Oreal. Is that still in place? I, I know that was a couple of years ago, but... It, it is. So um, L'Oreal wanted to bring in Maybelline into Nigeria. Uh, which is one of their products. And they were looking for uh, what they call a retail partner. So a partner that had the infrastructure to distribute for them, but also had understood makeup 
um, and already had a client, um, a, a customer base. And, and um, I think that helped us to be the perfect fit. Uh, we, you know, the, the, the office here in Nigeria, L'Oreal office in Nigeria engaged us. And at some point, um, the French, the, uh, the vice president of L'Oreal came to Nigeria. We had meetings about how to move the brand forward um, and collaborating at multiple levels. And, and, and still we retail the Maybelline products in our stores. Wow. So, I mean, it's really funny though that you studied law and I think you, you did you complete your degree in law? Or I wasn't sure. But I, didn't go to, I didn't go to law school, but I, I, I completed my degree in the university. And then university. But I find it fascinating. So many successful people, they go to university and, and quite hell bent on doing something like a lawyer or, you know, whatever. And they get there and something else catches their eye. Something else in business distracts them. And they move, <laughs> you know. And they move. And they move. The, Especially the, thing is, the critical thing is they move. They don't, they, they adapt. They yes. adapt to the new environment and they see they've got a passion for something and they drive in a different way. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. To think about how much I wanted to be a lawyer. I mean, people who knew me on, in, in secondary school already called me barrister <laughs> because, because they were certain I was going to be a lawyer. I was certain I was going to be a lawyer. I talked about it often and often and often. Uh, but I think law also opens up your mind. We come from a society where when I was growing up, a lot of families, um, there were certain courses that you had to study. Uh, mm. Nigerians are very big on education. So, you know, for us, the poorest man feels like his child has to go to school, no matter what it costs him. And it's mm. cultural, you know, and, and there's certain courses like being a doctor, being a lawyer, being an engineer, being an architect at the standard courses. And anything else is almost like they consider you not to be, to be a failure if you don't do them. Um, mm. And so... So I, I obviously loved, wanted to be a lawyer, but I think the society also uh, made, it, made it a nice to do, right? Um, that I wanted to be a lawyer. But I'm, I'm thankful that I got the opportunity to, to move and I had yeah. the courage so at, the, at the time that I did. And did you find it difficult? Because I mean, I, I know comedians who studied like a business science and then they moved into comedy and didn't get paid for five years and became big comedians. I mean, was, was it like, your family going, no, don't do this. Or, or did you, do you think you got the support you wanted? Was it, was it difficult? No, well, I got the support I wanted, but I think I got the support because at the time I, did, I made the decision, I was very young. Um, yeah. So I was still on campus, for example, and I started this business. Um, what that meant was, you know, your parents are looking and thinking, well, you don't lose anything from doing it, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's the factory education, so they were fine. And what, it was, what was great was because it was a new industry, um, the, I got a lot of press attention. And that's mm-hmm. the power of press, right? Um, yeah. The press amplified what it was I was doing, um, made it, you know, it was also new. Uh, and, and just being a novel um, uh, industry made it exciting as well. And I think that that also came with some accolades quickly. Yeah. Uh, which, which made it easier for people to be accepting of what it was I was doing. And I think being young gives you the opportunity to take risks. But, but I'm sure that if, if it was maybe five years ago, 10 years ago, uh, I'm sure that my parents would have said, you know, you sit down, you have children now, think about it. You don't. But in this case, it was just full support. But I was lucky enough to start with some of the biggest clients. And that I think made, prepared up my parents for the acceptance. 
So it's a combination of also the big clients because that must have helped as well, that prestige of working with... Also the third, yeah, you know, the most powerful, the third most powerful. So it's almost like you're maybe head of uh, the Senate, you know, in a democratic government. Um, and in, and he was in a military government, which is the head of the Navy. Uh, so, so that really, really helped. And I think from that, uh, obviously, it became part of the package if you if you are a member of the upper class, then you had to have your makeup professionally done for your wedding, right? And that made it much more and more easy, uh, much easier to to um, to create that industry. And do you think it was not just the industry? Do you think women at the time were driving and starting their businesses? Was that also a challenge at the time? Do you think for a young no. woman? No. Was so, it, is it common in it's Nigeria? Common. It's common. Statistics actually support that in Africa, Nigeria, Nigeria has the highest number of female entrepreneurs. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's cultural uh, for our mothers to, to be entrepreneurs. And if they were not made big entrepreneurs, they had a side, side hustle. Uh, yeah. So if your mom worked as a doctor, she would have something that she does by the side. Maybe she'll have a pharmacy. If your mom was a nurse, she might have a pharmacy. If she was a, an artist, she must have, you know, she's working in an office, therefore she does, she paints and sells. So, um, Entrepreneurship, but at a small scale, but not yeah. even at the level that I'm currently on. That was common. Entrepreneurship at, at a small scale. I might and, what was, and what was your sort of biggest challenge at, at that time? What was, what um, was... Yeah, I, I think that the challenge at the time was convincing people that they, 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 this was a service that they could pay for. Yeah. That service that was required and, and, and a service that they should pay for because in the past when you're getting married your aunts did your makeup uh maybe your older sister did your makeup now you're you're coming with a whole suitcase of makeup products and you are going to paint my face and then you're going to charge me for the same thing i got for free um yeah. people was 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 the challenge at the time look at the industry now it's standard for everyone to have their makeup done professionally yeah, for sure. And, and I thought about it because I knew I was going to have this podcast today. And I was thinking, it's a bit like coaching or some of the other things that are, that are new now. It's like, it's just changing people's mindsets of what value is and what we think we don't normally pay for. And then we do. It's yes, it, exactly like coaching. It's amazing how I was thinking about it on my run today, about how in the past, to even have a coach was, was almost like a sign of you not succeeding. <laughs> but now everyone's a coach I, I mean in Nigeria it's like every senior executive at, you know in banking is, has a coaching side business that they're doing you know celebrities are doing coaching um, actresses can teach how to be a good actress you know and it's, it's incredible it's, it's, it's you know it's really really incredible and, and you did the same really though with this you, you, you showed people you essentially coached them how to, yeah. to run their own businesses. Absolutely, absolutely. And you did the franchising. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and and, and I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity to have been able to do that. Absolutely. Why? Why, why, why are you grateful for the opportunity? Is it because, I mean, if I look at that documentary, it's weird. But when you're at school, it's almost like you had this, um, this purpose of helping people to learn you started up these groups internally so it it's it seems like it's a, a nature within you that you enjoy helping other people develop has it Absolutely. always been like that? 
Yes, obviously. I mean, I, I told the story, I think it was a CNN interview. I told the story about when I went to visit my grandmother in the village, right? Um, in the rural part of, 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 of Nigeria. Every time I visited her, I spent time teaching the other kids because I was private schooled, right? I'd go to the village and pick up the children who were around and teach them. And my grandmother thought I was going to become a teacher. She was certain I would be a teacher because at that five, six years old, seven years old, eight years old, this was the kind of thing I would do. I was doing. Then I got into secondary school the same, right? And so it's, I, I always think that every single person um, has values that are caught who they are. Mm. And I believe that impact is mine. Uh, it's also my superpower, if you, if you may, right? Um, empowering other people is a significant part of my, of my, of my essence. And I yeah. find meaning in life when I'm empowering others. Mm. And so if I ran a business that, wasn't, that I didn't consider a platform to empower people, then I wouldn't be excited about it. And I always say to entrepreneurs that, you know, when you're going to find your purpose, you have to do something that's at the center of who you are that gives you excitement, gives you that push. And for me, it could be anything for someone else. It could be, it could be just printing money. <laughs> for me, I, just, I think I was lucky enough to find an opportunity to impact lives, but also make money at, at the same time. So <laughs> I could smile. It's so important, I think, as well. But I also get the sense that um, you made what you did fun, exciting, but at the same time, you have a natural ability to convince people to sell almost, right? And, and do you think that's part of your culture? Is that part of the, the teaching? Where do you think that strong sales <laughs> gift comes from? Because, I mean, I listen to when, it's, it's not really selling, but it is, because when you're looking to finance, Absolutely. and you look, there's a challenge. I think you said you're looking for like 500,000 yes. um, of your local currency, and, and you're a bit cheeky. Yes. And I'm like... That's a natural born salesperson right there. <laughs> I, I think so. I think so. I think, I think there are people who are naturally born to be salespeople. <laughs> yeah. And how important do you think that is for an entrepreneur to be a natural salesperson? I mean, I mean, this, I, I think not just for entrepreneurship, for anything, you have to have the capacity to sell. Um, if you're a CEO of a multinational, right, you have to sell your vision to your team to get them inspired and, des and, and desirous of, of being, uh, of going with you on the journey, right? Of transformation, of growth, whatever it is. Um, if you're an entrepreneur, you have a product. You have to be able to sell the product to your consumers and get them to enjoy it. If you're a mom, you have to convince your children. Right? They need to get a good education, right? And you have to be a good salesperson. So I think sales is a skill that everyone needs. Um, um, and I think that it helps across board. You know, you want to get married to someone, your parents say no, your responsibility is to, is to sell the guy and say, this is why I find this guy amazing, right? And this is why I think you want him to marry me in the first place, right? It's sales. So I think sales is, is important, but it's also important for entrepreneurship. Whether it's when you're just selling your, your product to your consumers or you're selling your vision to investors or you're selling your vision um, to employees, you still must have the capacity to sell. And I think, I think, I think it's very, very, very important. But I think there's a difference between a good salesperson and a great salesperson. So a good salesperson will go in and sell something. Yes. A great salesperson will go in and wanting 500,000 and ask for 40 million. <laughs> <You remember? laughs> yes, but I didn't get 40 million. I got 20 million. That's not the point. That's not the point. You asked for it. 
<laughs> I had the audacity to ask for it. <laughs> is that part of it? Is it part of having fun with it and having the audacity? What were you thinking? Yes. So I, I, think, I think when you're selling, you have to look at the body language of the person you're selling to, right? <laughs> and as you sell, you can tell whether you can go further and further. And I, and I, and I think having the capacity to, to read people's mannerisms, people's body language, gives you a hint as to what to do, right? So I'm having the conversation with him. And one of the things he does is to stop and say, hold on, I need to call someone else into this meeting. That was already a pointer that I was on the right track. And I yeah. walked that meeting setting my, my journey. And I think, I always say this to entrepreneurs, you need to know how to tell your own story. Countries mm -hmm. like South Africa have done a good job at selling their, selling their story, right? And that's why the country is attractive for people to come in, okay? Mm -hmm. Everyone needs to learn how to tell their own stories. And so for me, having the capacity to say, hey, guy, I started this business with 15,000 naira, which is less than $100, right? Maybe $50, yeah. um, X number of years ago. And I bank with your bank, and this is my account details. This is what I started with. I started with what you consider an irrelevant business, okay? But today yeah. I built a brand and, and, and I built an organization. Um, I built a product line that people love and women want to buy. And mm. listening to him, him listening to my story made him say to me, our bank is a kind of bank that would like to be part of your story. Because he told you, I'm buying. Yes, he said those words to me, right? And then he also said, I need to call the head of retail banking to come into the meeting. What he meant was, I want somebody else to hear this. I just don't want to be the only one to hear this. And those were already pointers that I was on the right track. The question was, when he asked me how much I needed, this was my opportunity to ask for as much as I could. <laughs> and, I took, and I took the plunge. <laughs> good on you. I find that selling a lot is about listening, though. And, and you almost said that. You were listening, not just to his verbal, but also to his mannerisms. You listening to the cues. Yes, yes. Um, I, I think it's important um, um, to, to, to sell, but also to listen. And sometimes people get carried away with just wanting to throw something down your throat. But you have to realize that you, you are selling a solution to someone. And the person, it means the person has a need. Have you identified what that need is? The banker is looking for a brand that they can join the, the growth process to be able to say, this is my, my brand. This is the brand that I, I invested in and I believed in. Um, that was a need that the, the, the MD of that bank had at that time. The question was, how do I position myself to be the solution, my brand to be the solution or the answer to that question? And so I think even in relationships, when we meet people, I always say, I, and I teach this even to my children, when you're having conversations with people, Pay attention to them. Let them be the most important person in that room at that moment. Um, give eye contact, right? Listen in. And as you listen in, ask questions. Ask questions. As you ask questions, people feel like you're truly interested in them. And when they feel you're truly interested in them, they open up to you. And listen, you can build great relationships because you're listening. So yes, a great salesperson also has to listen. For, for sure. And business people as well, for sure. So, so you got the funding, you accelerated your brand. You, you went into doing directories. You then went into the school, the beauty schools. Yes. And so tell me about that a little, a little bit. So, so. So, so it was great to be able to um, get that funding. Um, 
one of the things I promised was I promised because um, I was going to prove that I was a person of integrity. I didn't have the collateral the bank wanted, uh, but I promised that I was going to make them proud by paying back the loan in one year. And I did pay back the loan in one year, but I, I also did something else, which was I invested in developing more people. And what I did was we already had a direct marketing business model, uh, but I focused on young women on campuses. So I went into campuses and gave women my products at 50% for them to make 50% profit on it. And they just went berserk, right? They took the products into offices. Uh, they took the, the products into churches. They took the products to, you know, women's society. And they helped to promote the brand, right? We did a very, I mean, we, we, we put a book together called 100 Voices. And it was uh, one of the, 100 of the most, uh, one of the exciting stories from that journey of 100 women who uh, we wanted to document their stories of their growth process and how their lives have been transformed. And so, yes, we were generating money. Our brand was getting more and more known. And we didn't need to be in every, I mean, like I said earlier, Nigeria is a very big country with 36 states, 400 languages, right? And over 500 ethnic groups. And with that is such diversity, right? And, and, we also don't have infrastructure, retail infrastructure, like you have in, in South Africa with all the malls. And so you have to find creative ways to distribute your products. And I, was, I, was, I think I was very fortunate to be able to um, work, distribute my product, but also leverage a model that I found to be inspiring personally from a personal standpoint. That's developing people, empowering people to get them to become financially independent. And, and that was my journey into direct marketing. And then from there, of course, we started to, as the business began to grow, we now started to open more and more retail stores. And so we have a multi-channel distribution model across multiple platforms. How is COVID adjusting that model? I mean, have, have you had to adjust it at all or slightly or a lot? I mean, in South Africa, we had a lockdown and we more or less weren't able to move for a couple of weeks. And, no. and so that affected a lot of those informal businesses yes. quite a lot. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, same with us, right? Um, um, Lagos, which is the capital city, uh, uh, well, commercial city of, of Nigeria, uh, with 22 million people was the first to shut down. And, and we have the highest number of our retail stores here in Lagos. Uh, what that meant is that um, we have stores, but our stores are experiential. We're very big on the feeling. You know, you know we, say, we say that we're not just selling makeup, we're selling an experience. And what that meant means is that the quality of uh, staffing who attend to you when you come in, the, you know, yeah. how you feel when you come to our store is what we sell. So, what that meant was the minute the COVID hit, uh, we could no longer do that because of too much um, high, it was a high, it's a high touch business with um, too much contact, human contact. And so we had to shut down our stores. I've got a funny story about and that. And the minute, uh, I said, I've got a funny story about that. My hairdresser said that she's become a psychologist because of the experimental thing. People come to her just for her to listen to this, their problems. I, I, I get what you're saying. And I love their, their head massages when, they, when they're washing my hair. But absolutely, absolutely. And, and what does she do now? She can't, she can't cut hair, so. <laughs> exactly. So um, it, 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 that was a challenge, um, but we now, um, there's, a, there's a, that part of the lockdown, the lockdown took place. Then the Lagos state government said, even when there was a partial, um, lifting of the lock of, of, of the lockdown 
there's certain businesses that couldn't reopen and yeah. businesses were one of them. And, and so, and, and I think this is the same with, with South Africa, yeah. right? So that also became a challenge. We lost, you know, more than 80% of our revenue um, for a business that was generating, that generates cash on a daily, daily, daily basis. But apart from that, it also meant women are not wearing makeup as much as they would. So all the yeah. parties, and like I said earlier, uh, Nigeria is very big on ceremonies around weddings and we have multiple uh, events to mark a wedding and all that is cancelled, right? And when that's cancelled, it means that the consumption of makeup is less, uh, the use of makeup artists, you know, is little or nothing, right? And that became a big challenge for us. And we had to begin to rethink of the things that we could do. And one of the things we, we had to start doing was consulting for businesses. Um, and so many businesses were, yes, shut down, but wanted to, when they reopened, they felt like the lockdown was an opportunity for them to stop and do things properly. They looked at a, a brand that has built multiple branches across the country in a country that people just believe is manic and yeah. asked, how do you do it, right? And how can you help us put processes in place uh, from a people angle, from a you know, procedure systems uh, uh, standpoint? And, and that's part of the things that we've been doing, helping businesses. Just before I got onto this call, I was on a, a call with uh, a, a second generation uh, retail business, uh, the daughter, the business is 34 years old, and daughter's hand is now taking over and they're just coming to have conversations with us on how we can help them to structure the business um, for the new level where, where they're going. So I'm very excited to have that part of our business, but this would not have happened if COVID didn't happen. <laughs> So it's funny because good entrepreneurs seem to be able to pivot and adapt. So I, I had this sense that you have some amazing stories around this. And, and so you haven't disappointed. But I mean, yeah. you talk about integrity and paying back the loan quickly. And, and I know from before you believe relationships are really important. I mean, a lot of people want to get ahead for the short term. But sometimes what I see is the most successful entrepreneurs have got a long-term view and relationships are critical to that. Um, and, and I think, you know, one of the things that I saw as well is that your relationship with your, your stepmother and your mother-in-law is very, very powerful, which is, it goes against the trend, right? Because most women will say, no, <laughs> those relationships aren't strong. So that's obviously something that you've, curated yourself you've had to work on those things what's driven that what's driven that desire to make these relationships work because it takes effort it's not it's not natural like these things don't happen because you know not often it's because of a lot of work absolutely um i i, I think with my stepmom um i wasn't old enough to have plans to work on the relationship i think yeah. she was just an amazing woman. Um, and I was so blessed to have someone who saw me not as a problem, but saw me as a, a joy, right? And, and a child that needed to be nurtured. And she was present to do that. Uh, I, I think having that sort of relationship would have molded me to see beyond what people say about people and generally be more open. Uh, because what she did was to say, well, although you're not, I'm, you're not my biological child, I will... Yeah give you the best that I can. And she did it every single day, every, and she, she showed up, she showed up um, in, in secondary school on, in my boarding, boarding uh, distant days. She showed up when I needed emotional support. She showed up consistently in teaching me how to garden, teaching me how to cook. 
this was her, you know. And I think that, that made room for me to also want to give to others, right? And give people and, and make room for others as well and, 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 and be more open to best relationships. Rather than say, this child is my husband's child and already putting me in a box, she, mm. she went beyond that. And I think that, that that may have shaped how I see relationships today. So it's one of the things I'm very, I think it's, a, it's, it's one of the greatest gifts for me and the mm. relationship that I've uh, fostered over the years, whether it's that with my spouse and, and the impact on that on, on my well-being as a person or mm. with my mentors or with my mother-in-law or my sister-in-laws, you know, there's a consistent. Now, it doesn't mean that it always works, but I think I get... I give myself maybe 90% of the time it works than, than when it doesn't. For sure. And I mean, I, I mean, I read about your husband and I, I watched some of his interviews. He's also very dynamic like you. I can see you're like a power couple. It's crazy. But he, he, was, he was going for the presidency two years ago. I'm not sure how yeah. things panned out, but I was thinking, wow, it really is like a rags to riches almost story for you, you know. Um, how how has it been with a politician? Because there's a lot of um, pressure there, I'd imagine. Or yes, so so he doesn't consider himself as a politician, right? He's of a different school of thoughts. His theory is around that he's a nation builder, and, and he, he believes that um, to be a nation. <laughs> Can you hear that? Yeah. Aha! Uh-huh. And that you know uh, we as as citizens as Nigerians need to participate in 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 the political process. And there's a tendency for the upper class and, and middle class to abstain, to move away from politics and seeing it as a dirty game. And one of the things he wanted to do was to get more, more people like himself involved, uh, whether it's in political running for political office or getting us to actually vote. Um, so we have a Nigeria, we have historically, Nigerians just do not show up to vote. Uh, and we already feel like the the elections have been determined, right? And in, in doing so, people become more and more reluctant. And, and the challenge with that is you leave it open for anyone to run for office and anyone to win uh, mm-hmm. because those who matter don't make this, take that step. And, and so for him, what he wanted to do was to galvanize uh, a critical mass of people like himself, right? With sort of background. Um, he grew up on, on a university campus. His pair, both parents were professors at the university. Um, his uncle is a professor at the university in the US. And, and so they come from a, quite a very enlightened um, background. And that enlightenment is it's the same across Nigeria in many cases. But unfortunately, people with this sort of background do not participate in politics. And so we, we have high cases. I mean, Nigeria is such a blessed country in terms of resources, but then we have poor leadership across all levels from, you know, from um, high levels to lowest in terms of local governments and what have you. And people like us, ourselves don't get involved because we're constantly saying, oh, we can't do it, no. And what he wanted to say was, guys, we need to do this, right? And I'm going to take this, I'm going to part of the political, current political structure or not. I'm going to go to a new party and start a movement. And that's what he did. And I think he did a great job. I call him my hero now. I've changed his name from fella to hero. <laughs> Uh, because he had, he had the audacity to do so. And a lot of people don't have that. For sure. And I watched some of those interviews. It was interesting. He talked around 
um, you know, so, some of the organizations calling themselves the ruling party and we're, we're the ruler of the country. And I thought it was quite yeah. funny. <laughs> the wrong idea. You, you're serving the people. You're not ruling them. Um, and then he talked about corruption and the, you know, the, the, the lack of will to use resources effectively. But then I thought he could be talking about South Africa. Mm. The, the way he was talking, I, I know the sentiment is very clear. And, and then I'll speak to people all over the world. And I think it's quite a touchy subject, but I, I definitely get the sense, and even with COVID, that what we're seeing is we're seeing the general political, I don't know, structure, institutions aren't really geared to serve society in the way that they're probably meant to. And there's a rethink, and I don't think it's an, an attack on the Nigerian government. I don't think it's an attack on the South African government or the government of the, the West. But I just think that we've got to relook really at how we serve people and how we drive entrepreneurship and how, and how we educate people in general. I think these things are antiquated systems that are old and, and need to be relooked at. Society's moved on, access to information. Um, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it's not just only in politics, but it's also in business, right? Um, how are we serving, right? And, and even as CEOs, are we serving the people that work in the organization? If the organization is 1,000 people, 200 people, 100 people, are you there to rule them, right? Because this is how we see leadership as rulership as opposed to service. And, and even in marriages, right? Are we serving one another? You know, as a spouse, am I serving my husband? Is my husband serving me? And I think that if we change, uh, if we have a, a reorientation, I think the world would be a better place to live in, whether you're an entrepreneur who's, who's, who's buying and selling or, or you're, a social, you're a social entrepreneur who's trying to change the world, as long as you're not just doing this for your own self aggrandizement um, but really to change the world, but also to serve people. Um, I think the world would be a much better place, much better place. For sure. I think I'll, I'll be married 21 years on Friday. And I sometimes get asked, how, how, do you, how did you last so long? And I don't think it's easy. It's a bit like business. It's, it's, a, it's a collaboration. It's communication. It's, and I think one of the things that I realized very early on being married, it was, it was very easy to criticize one another. Because I, I definitely am not perfect. And she most certainly isn't either. As, you know, and, and I think it's about looking at our strengths. And it was fascinating because you said something really very similar. You said as entrepreneurs and business people, we're going to focus in on our strengths. How do you do that? Um, I, I think, first of all, it's self, being self-aware of what your strengths are and, and, and being in places where you can serve with your strengths. Uh, surrounding yourself with a circle of friends who identify with those strengths that you have and help you to amplify it. And, and I say this to parents as well, you know, sit with your children and let them know what their strengths are amplified by talking to them about it over and over again. In marriage is the same, right? Um, you, 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 if you focus on your, your spouse's weakness, then you are sure, you can be sure that that marriage is not going to work. Right. Uh, if I, if I think about the things that, you know, I've been married for almost 20 years next year and in the 20 years I've been married, it's not because my husband is perfect. Whatever you focus on is amplified. Okay. Yeah. So whatever you focus on is amplified. If I focus on how amazing kind my husband is and, and, and not focus on the fact that he has OCD, <laughs> then I'm more likely to see his kindness amplified. Yeah. 
than the fact that he has OCD, right? And I think that that's, this is important in life. Um, let's see, you know, even with COVID, you know, what, what are the things that we can gain from the experience? And I think for entrepreneurs to succeed, they have to be people who are positive and people who can see um, the light at the end of the tunnel and they see hope as opposed to, um, as opposed to darkness. And I mean, you've you got three boys, so you, you haven't done this all like on your own. And I think f- for many people, so you say entrepreneurship is sort of 50-50 in Nigeria. It's definitely not as strong in terms of women. It's coming up. So you're seeing a lot more women entrepreneurs, without a doubt. But if you bring in the equation, bringing up children and being a mother, and then you bring in things like covid and having to half educate them as well and being a teacher, a mother, um, and a wife, the, 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 the chances of success are stacked against women. How do you overcome those, those challenges? Because I know with us, we, I've also got three children and there's no denying, I work with my wife, but there's no denying that she does more than me oh, around the house. It's just, there's just no, as much as I want to say I do, I don't. It's, it's just not... <laughs> You know, I go surfing or running or something, and then she's there cooking or helping with the children. And so how do, how do we help women more, do you think, through this entrepreneurial journey, knowing that they've got these extra responsibilities and challenges? Yes, I think, I think the rules should be, should, be, um, should be, in a sense, bent in our favor. Uh, because, you know, when, when, you know, when you walk into a bank and, and a banker wants to treat you the same way they'll treat a man when our realities are not the same, right? Um, so you want me to do this, but that's what you're asking the men to do and you're asking me to do the same. It's not a reality. I'm a mother of three boys. Um, I, my husband knows the same, and I think the same with you. Your wife thinks about the children more times in the day than you do. That's just mm. the facts. <laughs> that's I, wa- I want to, believe me, yeah. I want to, but yeah. I don't. Yeah, but and you can't because you're just not designed that way. <laughs> I, I tried to, but I wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> I have conversations with my husband and you can almost feel like, um, why didn't I think about that? I'm, like, I'm thinking, no, you can't think about that. <laughs> it's, it's, so I, I, I'm okay with it now. Like I'm okay yes. that he's better at that and I'm better at maybe other things. I haven't worked it out what I'm better at yet, but we're going to work it <laughs> out. But how do we change things? Because I think you're pointing to a really important issue, right? Which is the rules of work, the rules of life, in many ways were designed by men for men. But now if we really want to accelerate growth, the economy, that we need to look at things in a slightly different way for women. Um, And it's not, I don't think it's unfair. And I think there's some other parts to this about financing. Is that there's evidence that giving, financing a woman run businesses the chances of getting your money back, even if they fail, is like 95% versus if a a male-owned business fails, I think it's like 50%. So, you know, women are generally better to finance. So actually, it's not really, it shouldn't be different. It should be based on evidence. Absolutely. I mean, I think about now that we've come back to work, the lockdown has been lifted um, and businesses have, have been asked to reopen. And guess what? There are many employees who are mothers and schools haven't reopened, right? But guess what? The women um, can't go to work um, as often as they can as compared to their husbands. So, 
So what then happens, right? And that's why I say the rules are not the same for both parties. Um, you hear of a, of a lady, uh, lady in her HR department who says that she can only come into the office the days her husband decides can stay at home. So basically the conversation is not about you go to work three days and I stay at home. No, no, no. It's the day that he, and this is standard, right? <laughs> the days that he's able, for some reason, coincidentally, he's able to be at home. And, 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 and this is the reality. And I, and I think that uh, policies have to be created in a way that women are being considered across board. Organizations can't wait for government to, to do things. Uh, so for us, we've decided, you know, those who can't come back to work can't come back to work because they still have children, so they should work remotely. Um, and, and that's what we're encouraging. And, and I think that male CEOs have to begin to put on that cap to realize it's a difference and therefore treat women uh, a bit better as a result of it. So if you can't wait for government legislation, we, we have organizations so we can put policies in place to support women. Some are, I think, but obviously, you know, again, it's like the thing about the children, men probably think in their own way and are needing that help with women. I think that's why w women on boards of organizations that they are performing male only boards for that very reason as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, for you, I, I'm often intrigued with people who are successful because it, and, and we're talking earlier, it often comes at some cost somewhere, some failure has driven this, this, these habits and um, these principles of success in life. I mean, what would you say your principles of success are as an entrepreneur? What, what do you think the fundamental things that other people could possibly action or be inspired by? So one of them is focus. Mm. The ability to have a laser focus, right? Um, and, you know, and whatever you pay attention to, obviously it has capacity to thrive. Um, and so if it's your business you're paying attention to, is a product you're paying attention to, it has capacity to thrive. And, and when I think about many other entrepreneurs like myself, um, whether it's in, you know, in developed countries or within the continent, I, f I feel like what I see is focus across board. Um, so you have a great product, you focus on it, amplify it, make it better, 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 because you focus on it, on it. you're building your company, right? It becomes one of the best places to work in the world or best places to work in your country. It happens because there's focus. It just doesn't happen because it's coincidental. There's consistent practices, right, that are based on principles that now give you the product season. I'd say it, it's focus. Uh, and, you know, whatever it is that you're that's driving you at this time, what is that? What is it? And can you focus on it and give it laser sharp focus? And there's a famous quote, um, from one of my best books ever. And it says that when your eye is single, your body will be full of light. When your eye is single, your body will be full of light. And singularity of, of sight is what brings light. Light stands for development, stands for innovation, whatever you, know, you think about it. I mean, some of the things I think about is that we've only got so much time, energy, and focus, and it's also the same sort of thing. So put it at the right things, right? I mean, we, we don't have unlimited time, focus, or energy. So just make sure it's on the things that are going to drive out the, the thing that you want. Absolutely. And the things that are most important to you. And, and so that was one of the principles. What, what, what are some of the others? I mean, you talk about hard work as well. And I think that there's a, sometimes a misconception that you know, entrepreneurship is 
easy and they look at the success and they don't look at the journey and the challenges and sticking in there when things are going wrong. They hear about you cracking a deal for 20 million and they don't understand the pain that went along with that. So, so resilience is, is one, right? Um, it's, one of, it's one of those um, practices. I would also say, of course, hard work. Um, and I say hard work. But you see, uh, <laughs> someone just bought me. So um, resilience, because on the journey of entrepreneurship, there are multiple places and times where you will get a hit. And whether it's someone who doesn't believe in your dream, whether it's opposition because you can't raise financing because of society you come in, or, or you know, your product is being copied or counterfeited, um, or, um, or you can't find talent because your business isn't attractive enough for someone who has talent to join. And, and, and these are moments. And sometimes the best, the best entrepreneurs become the best entrepreneurs because they stick with it, right? Mm. And they overcome as a result of sticking with it. And that's why resilience is so important. Uh, I think about, about um, Jeff Bezos, for example, whose business for youngs was not profitable, Right, and he put in the work, and put in the work, and put in the work, and put in the work. Um, I think of uh, of Bill Gates, right, and the amount of hours he puts in into creating his product. And and if you if you watch on Netflix, you know what's in the mind of I think that's the name of the, the title of the documentary. You see the amount of time and energy that's invested in that business and in that product, and 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 what you see is the outcomes of that product, but not all the times that he got a no that he got resistance from his team, but he kept it hit. And, and so resilience, yes, is one thing, but hard work because you have to put in the work for, for, you to see the, for you to see the product at the end of the day. Yeah. And I mean, and relationships, I mean, you, you've got a great relationship with your mother-in-law, you've got a great relationship with your stepmother, your husband, yeah. your colleagues. How, how important are relationships, do you think? Um, I, I think that um, as a people, you know, as, as humans, right? Um, relationships that are well cu cultivated have capacity to make you the best that you can be, right? Whether it's in terms of a support system or in terms of just people who are fun, who are around you. And so I, 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 I this is the thing I, was, I also say is that if we invest in the relationships and they, then there'll be a return on that investment. Uh, and sometimes it, sometimes it's in monetary terms, sometimes it's, it's in support terms, um, but, or it's in goodwill terms, but there's a reward for it. And like I said earlier on, you know, when you meet people, you know, are you truly and genuinely interested in them? Mm -hmm. And if you are not, then cultivate it because the first basis, the first level of building relationships is about genuine concern for others. And like, and like I also said earlier on, I said, when you meet people and you're having conversations with them, pay attention to them, be present. And being present makes them feel like they're the center of your world at that moment when you're talking to them. And I think that also gives them the opportunity to feel open with you and, and also connect. And that connection can transcend um, generations, the relationships that have moved from one generation to the other simply because somebody cultivated those relationships. From a business standpoint, I have seen relationships. I mean, the L'Oreal deal uh, that, that, that we talked about earlier was because I was invited to a board by a mentor, and that's a relationship, right? Yeah. Um, the board I was invited to 
the MD of L'Oreal was on the same board as chair. And so he met me on that board um, and we built a relationship. And then when there was a time for value exchange to take place, he engaged me as opposed to somebody else. And, and this is the power of, of relationships, right? Um, whether it's in marriage, um, on my journey of, of building a business, you know, as a woman, you need a spouse who can stand with you and support you in areas that you may not be available. Uh, somebody can take your children to school and pick them back, pick them up back. Uh, do homework with them if you don't have a spouse who supports you but those relationships your relationship with your spouse requires investment and time to cultivate and and you get the return on that investment when that investment is made and, and i think it's, it's 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 lovely i think world the world without relationships will be a mess yeah yeah it brings joy they, they say that you know um you always know what to focus on when you think about if you died what you'd miss and or the, the, your last your last couple of hours of living and yes. it's those relationships the family friends and colleagues that, that's the thing we look for so i mean if if someone was looking to do business in nigeria and they were looking to to take their products or their solutions what's what would they what would your advice be i mean you know, is, is there a different way of doing business? Someone once told me, if you're going to go to Nigeria and do business, make sure you travel in first class. Because once you get off the flight, <laughs> it's important that you look good. Um, I don't know if that was the best advice that anyone could have given, but I mean... Um, but I understand why that is, because they say travel in first class so you can meet partners. Okay. So, so a lot of people do that if they travel business class or first class because they want to meet people who are maybe like them or they feel there's potential that, and they can yeah. partner with. If someone's coming to Nigeria to do business, I would say find a local partner. Yeah. Find a local partner um, to, to work with. Um, and, and in finding a local partner, recommendations, you know, do your due diligence um, and determine who you should work with. Um, and I really believe that we're only three people or two people away from the person that we need and we're looking for. And if you think hard enough within two people within your network, you find someone who can recommend someone in Nigeria that you can do business with. And have you done a lot of work outside of Nigeria or South Africa? Have you, are, you, are you looking expanding into the rest of Africa? I mean... I think, I think there's huge potential uh, doing business across the continent. Unfortunately, we still have major infrastructure issues. Um, payment portals across that, that don't work as much as they should. Uh, we have, it's cheaper to transport goods from, from, like, from Africa to a European country than it is to move from Lagos to East Africa. Um, and I'm hoping that with a new policy that have just been put in place by the African Union and investment in infrastructure development around um, uh, rail network uh, and, and more uh, flights, uh, cheaper flights, that would help because we're spending more out of the continent than we, sh than, than we should. Um, we travel, you know, all the time to, to Europe and to the US uh, where we could be in Zanzibar, right? But if you look at the tickets to Zanzibar, it's maybe even more than it is to go to Portugal. Um, and, and so these are things that government and, and I think the African Union needs, needs to invest in, but the potential is huge. But unfortunately, we don't have the infrastructure um, to move goods um, from country to country. And also, I think that the IT thing is a big thing, selling directly to e-commerce, using platforms, yes. new platforms. 
a challenge with the platforms is that you still have to deliver. Goods still need to be yeah. delivered. I mean, I have a friend in South Africa who loves Nigerian fashion, right? And she wants to buy stuff in Nigeria, but then to do the transfers, it's like near impossible, right? And so we almost have to, I have to pay in Naira and then she would, you know, find a way to, to, to give me back um, uh, rand. And, and, you know, there's a corporate, uh, corporate governance training in South Africa I want to attend. And it's just difficult to, to make payments for that program. And these are the things that are limiting us as, as a continent. We want to do more business across, but it's just difficult because the infrastructure isn't there. So it's, it's not just the, it's the free trade agreement, right? It's all these taxes and right. different payment schemes and import Absolutely. duty. And I think they're trying to so, do away with it. I, I hope I hope it's implemented and implemented fast because they've been on it for for um, AFTA Af, Af, and they just opened their head office or headquarters in Ghana. I'm hoping that it's not just some fancy headquarters. It's just being you know designed as opposed to the real impact on everyday businesses. So fingers crossed and hope we see we see better because we want to have our products in Zimbabwe and in South Africa. And finally, I mean, I know that, you know, um, uh, Nigeria has a culture of sales. It has a culture of entrepreneurship. It's, it's you know, world-renowned, actually. But I think there's other countries, certainly South Africa, that could learn from some of, some of the things from that culture. What, what do you think, what would your advice be to women in South Africa who are looking to start up their business? What do you think they could learn from the Nigerian business and entrepreneurship culture? Is it to just be brave and do it? What, is it to, to be happy and, you know, uh, uh, um, just take that leap of faith? I mean, what, what would your advice be to the woman in South Africa? It's, it's have a keen eye for opportunities. Have a keen eye for opportunities and be looking out for them because they do exist. Uh, but if you're more focused on the challenges um, it's also a downer for Nigerians because it's also the reason why we don't hold government accountable because we just, our eyes are just more focused on what else can we do as opposed to fix what currently is not working, right? So I would, I would charge uh, South African women who want to go into entrepreneurship, if you wanted to be like a Nigerian entrepreneur, uh, female entrepreneur, I think what is standard is having a key eye for opportunities. So open your eyes to your environment. There are opportunities everywhere you go. And if you keep a keen eye, you'll find them. And you say eye on the environment, and I and I actually it was is the same phrase that um, Magda I've forgotten her surname. She, she's the richest woman in South Africa. She said the same thing. She said she's from Poland, and she said she does the same thing. She scans the environment for opportunities. Uh -huh, uh -huh. That's it. But so so in Nigeria, the women are more likely to, to scan than than they're more likely to scan and. and and what would that mean when you're scanning the environment for opportunities? Because it sounds like great words, but what would you what do? do you <laughs> yeah, what do you? What do they actually practically do? Do they do they look at other businesses that are thriving? How would, yeah. how would someone scan the environment? That's one. Look at what is what is what is working, and how can you improve on that? That's standard Nigeria. So we kind of copy. So a lot of people, what is it that someone else is doing that's successful? How can we improve on that? How do we get a better product out on the market? Um, that's one. Two, it's, it's, there are too many problems and, and so many issues. What are the solutions? And can I monetize those solutions? 
And so when we see a challenge, a, a, a gap with government in, the, in a place where government should have been uh, there and they're not operating in or, or they're not operating properly, that's an opportunity. And how do you uh, get the right price point um, and deliver that? Because we're also a huge country. Um, and so having the keen eye for, the, for, for your environment and scanning your the environment is yes, looking out for what other people are doing and also looking out for the problems that they are and say, how do I bring a solution to this problem, but also monetize that solution. Tara, I knew it'd be exciting to speak to you and it certainly was, you, you didn't disappoint. I think we, we, we'd love to get you on again, but um, we're so grateful for your time and your insights and it was, it was a pleasure meeting you. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me and love to your wife and the boys. <laughs> Oh,